0: Welcome to our podcast called Versed with Scott Tittle, a Vime Capital podcast, where we will be interviewing leaders in the long-term care sector who are shaping the future of the profession. We'll be discussing issues top of mind to them, so our listeners can be even more well-versed as they tackle their day. This podcast is powered by Vime Capital, a new national financial services firm focused exclusively on providing capital solutions to the seniors' housing and healthcare sectors. For more information, you can find us at viomecapital.com. I'm your host, Scott Siddle. This is first. Welcome, Heath Bode. Uh, Heath, for our listeners, is the president and CEO of the Nebraska Healthcare Association and the Nebraska Center for Assisted Living for about the next six hours, right, Heath? You know,
1: yeah, that's exactly you know, right, Scott.
0: We'll talk about your transition and opportunity here in a minute. But just for our listeners, uh, just want you to know we're so excited to have you here, Heath. You're our first guest on the new Vium Capital podcast platform. We're calling this Versed with Scott Tittle, because we know that there are leaders like you out there that are very well versed on what's going on in the sector. And we want our listeners to be even better versed as they attack their day. So thank you for being here today. Um, we'll get to your, your current job and your transition in a minute, but I just wanna give our listeners a little bit of your background because I want them to know just how awesome it is you're here today and how special this opportunity is. So for the last 11 years or so, you've been uh, the head of the Nebraska Healthcare Association, Nebraska Center for Assisted Living, which is the state's largest trade association representing the sector, which includes skilled nursing facilities, assisted living operators, hospice, home health, and LPNs, right? You also uh, uh, run the Nebraska Healthcare Foundation uh, and an accredited post-secondary college dedicated to long-term care. Uh, Prior to this role, you had many roles in the sector, Executive director, administrator, with a lot of several different Nebraska long-term care facilities. About that, and you also serve on a number of industry boards, including you were on the board of the National Center for Assisted Living, uh, ASHE, which is the Affiliated State Healthcare Association. Executives, uh, the board of directors, and current president for the next couple hours. Right. Um, the Nebraska Department of uh, Gerontology Advisory Board, Great Plains Quality Innovation Network Board of Directors. And you are also uh, on on the uh, ACA, American Healthcare Association Board of Governors, and again, the the past president of ASCII, right? So, um, you know, very active in the space, played a lot of different roles, both the operator side, the association side, the highest levels of leadership in all areas. Really honored to have you here today. You also got your Associate of Applied Science Degree in Nursing Home Administration from the Southeast Community College and a Bachelor of Science in Healthcare Management Degree from Bellevue University, right? So... Again, a little bit of your background for our, our listeners so we can get up to speed and get into the, uh, the discussion today. Now, we've known each other for 11 or so years uh, because we came into the association world at the same time. When you, were, you became the president of the Nebraska Health Association. I came in as the president of the Indiana Healthcare Association with the same pledge class, right, with Emmett from Florida. And then we've had the opportunity to work in many different roles as I've transitioned and you've accelerated your leadership opportunities. You were on the board of uh, the National Center for Persistent Living and then also the ACA Board of Governors and at Ashkey. So I feel very blessed not only to have you as a friend, Heath, uh, but also the chance that in all, all my movements over the last many 11 years, we've always had a chance to work together. So that's been really fun for me. So I just can't thank you enough for your friendship and your counsel as always. And thanks for joining me. So I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's great to be here. I, I, I'm i super excited to be part of the kickoff here. And this is good stuff. You know, listening to you walk through all those things that I was doing, I, good Lord, I must've been a bit busy, but I, you know, the, all those, as you point out, are really just uh, things that bless you in your leadership to help you see differently, see other perspectives. And so really been honored to be a part of that. And and, and most notably, uh, the time that we spent as you were the executive director of NCAL, uh, times I really will cherish and watching you flourish in your leadership and help grow NCAL into into this great association that it is today. So uh, well, thank you again for having me.
0: Well, thanks, Ethan. And again, we're honored. And I think what you and I both have always appreciated about OC and Cal, the family, as a Federation Trade Association model, it's all boats rise, right? And uh, Absolutely. no matter what role you're playing. And so can't thank you enough for being here. Hey, let's start off on one of the most important topics, uh, your family. Um, I know you are a very proud husband, uh, an awesome dad, and I would I would say a very young grandfather. Uh, so why don't you start off and tell us a little about your family, where you're from, and how you got started in long-term care industry?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, that's that's the fun stuff to talk about. I, you know, you're right. I am blessed with an amazing spouse. Probably, uh, maybe I'm a little biased, but probably the most supportive spouse out there. Because uh, I think I'm probably a lot, and she is just fantastic and sticks by me no matter what. We've come a long way, uh, a lot of years. We have three wonderful children. Our daughter lives just about 30 miles from us and has uh, got married and has two uh, just amazing grandchildren, Agnes and Whitaker, and I. I can tell you that had God made me a father uh, after he made me a grandfather, I'd probably done a better job. It's just the best gig in the entire world. And our our oldest son lives here in the city of Lincoln and is just doing awesome. And we still have a young person at home, Grayson. And so, um, yeah, we're we're super blessed. And so this for me is kind of family hardware store stuff. My mom uh, was an administrator my entire life. And so I spent more time in the facility as a kid, uh, than the paid staff did. And so much like it might be if I was helping my uh, family with paint and bolts and nails at the hardware store, it feels like that's kind of how this has worked. I've never been away from from post-acute care, from long-term care, and really don't ever intend to be. It's just, just in my blood.
0: Well, wow, that's awesome, Ethan. I think you're confirming what I think a lot of us know about the industry is it's, it's mission driven, right? And when you talk to people who are in positions, of leadership, more likely not, they came up through the business in some form or fashion uh, because they caught the bug early, saw the example their parents, even their grandparents set, or a mentor and want to be part of really helping others. And so I think that's, that's really, that's really awesome that you've uh, continued along that path. And Just think about the example you're setting for your children and your grandchildren. Um, Tell us about the names of your, your grandchildren, by the way. Those are very unique, uh, interesting names. Are there some family connections there? Or is that just, um, what, what, well, tell us fa-
1: Yeah, so the family connections would be in the middle names. The first names, I think, were just names that caught my daughter and son-in-law's attention. And so, you know, of course we latched onto them really quick and there's some fun. The, the good thing is there's some good, clean, fun nicknames associated with those as opposed to sometimes that gets to be a problem. So yeah. the, the middle names are the family connections.
0: Well, it's got to be really fun for you and Karma to be so close to your grandkids. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, uh, before you uh, entered into the association world, you had several roles in the business itself and the operation side. Tell us a little about those experiences and then maybe how you think those informed you or formed you, best formed you to become an advocate for the profession in Nebraska and in Washington, D.C.
1: Well, yeah, interesting. Uh, The listeners don't get to see in a podcast, but there was a point in my life when I had hair, and clearly that's not now. And so I've been around a while. I've been doing this a while and uh, about 30 years, really. And so I think about I started in rural Nebraska. Uh, clear out by the Colorado-Kansas border in a small community, which was so wonderful. And back in those days, allowed allowed my leadership to grow and to make some, I can make some mistakes. And it wasn't, you know, as I would say, life-threatening and had the opportunity to work with some incredible teammates over the years. Went to a little bigger facility in the middle of Nebraska and then more on the eastern end of the state. And each of those had their own uh, interesting things uh, from from just uh, dynamics and culture, got to work for a, a company that we'll talk about here in just a little while early in my career that's very mission-driven and really helped solidify for me how much mission, vision, and core values for a company really matter. They matter, in my opinion, generally, but certainly matter to me. And so, uh, you know, from my leadership growth, honestly, I can I can think of so many examples of people that cared enough about me to have Conversations that might have been hard as I was growing into leadership. I I'm a veteran, so I had some military days, and I would tell you I graduated from high school early to go in the military. Probably not knowing it then, the best thing I could have ever done because I, I don't think I was as mature as I needed to be. And that boy, you grow up in a hurry when you when you get in a military environment. So those have really been uh, things that have uh, you know you know uh, situations that have helped really solidify. Growth for me, and and I'd like to think if anybody would ever say that we, we've done a few things or have done a few things well, really helped that, uh, really helped that situation.
0: Yeah, what an, what an interesting background, and, and then bringing that to the advocacy world, both in Nebraska and in Washington. And for our listeners, some may not know about Ashki. Ashki again is sort of a, a trade association of all of your counterparts across the country, the other forty nine or so. Uh, and so you have, have more recently rolled off as president of Ashki, which is that, again, the association of those state leaders. So say a little bit about uh, you know, your experience as a, as a state trade association exec, and then also really uh, leading the sector at the national level in Washington, D.C., working with ACA and Cal staff and also working with your counterparts across the country.
1: Well, uh, you know, great descriptions. The, the state association exec, and as you well know, Scott, is just... A, It's such a privilege to to have the confidence of providers who work their tails off every day, providing care to, in our case, to Nebraskans and and to get the opportunity to lead them and to try to represent them. Uh, You know, you're often the face and the mouthpiece for a lot of really great work. In our case, 29,000 people's worth of work in our state. And I, I can't even tell you, as I wrap up my last day of that here today, I can't even tell you. Uh, the level of privilege that feels like for me. And then when I think about getting the opportunity to represent the 50 state execs, Chesh, what a privilege. Uh, goodness. I mean, I've the, the level of talent and the level of tenacity and servant leadership that happens across those 50 people is just incredible. And what a neat thing to get to represent them and to learn from them and maybe to uh, take their voice as it is to the Federation, as you pointed out, to the American Healthcare Association and the National Center for Assisted Living. I, they're the coolest people in the world. And, you know, we have a friend, uh, Scott and Mark Parkinson, who uh, refers to that as what it must feel like in a fraternity. And I wasn't part of that, but uh, good gracious, they've just been the most supportive, wonderful people as I've progressed in the last you know, 11, 12 years. It's been great. Yeah, it's a
0: special working relationship for sure. And I remember when I started to stay exec, I remember uh, then my board chair saying, hey, you have to remember what's great about Ashki is you've got 49 other people out there that are rooting for you and want you to be successful. And they will drop everything to hand you whatever they want, blueprints, uh, resources, contacts. And boy, I I found that true and true. So agreed. um, yeah, what a great experience. Well, you just came off of uh, kind of a jumbo series of meetings in Washington, D.C., um, Population Health Management Summit, which we'll talk about in a second, but also an ASCII meeting, which was your last ASCII meeting. We've teased this a few times already Heath, our conversations. You are transitioning into a new role on Monday, which we'll talk about in a minute, back on the operator side. So again, our listeners are probably wondering what we're talking about. Well, that's, you You are now moving on uh, from your, your opportunity there at the Alaska Health, Health Association then to go back on the operator side. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what's going on in DC since you're just fresh off the trip, fresh off the plane from D.C., what are some of the hot topics that uh, you all were identifying uh, for the sector? Uh, maybe say a little bit about how phase four is going on provider relief funds um, and any any opportunity for some infrastructure deals and anything else maybe you think would be really important for our listeners to know about today. And again, as of today, it's, it's uh, middle of December uh, of 2021, so we're kind of getting year-end here, but uh, just any, anything you think that might be really important for the listeners to understand in here.
1: Yeah, well, it was a great week. And not only does the American Healthcare National Center for Assisted Living always put on a great event. It was really informational. You know, the event is around, in my mind, population health management is around encouraging providers to, one, thing differently. But in Nebraska, we have a vision statement that says uh, inspire people to shape their world. And I think a lot about population health management and saying this is us in this sector saying, let's control or shape whatever we can, because some of it just, you just can't shape it. And so it it has been a great couple of weeks and there's a lot going on in DC. Maybe that's always said, you know, you live that life a lot, uh, but there's a lot going on. And I, I think I would put them in basically three buckets, you know, it'd be workforce, it'd be funding, and it'd be this whole intersection of, Vaccination and COVID, and there continues to be, uh, you know, Scott, a really tough time for providers Mm -hmm. as we've migrated our way through uh, the variants of COVID and and navigated the issue of vaccinations and required vaccinations and do we, don't we? And and so those continue to be uh, top issues in D.C. Yeah,
0: can we, can we yeah. talk, let's talk about vaccinations real quick because I think that's sure. probably really top of mind for everybody. Sure. Again, there was a deadline as of the, this last Monday, originally by the CMS reg that, that SNF providers in particular had to have all their staff with first shot by that. that. That obviously pushed a little bit based on the pending legislation. What is OCNCAL telling members to do, to be prepared for, to be thinking about um, any, any crystal ball there? Because I know that's really top of mind to, to listeners right now.
1: Well, yeah, that, that's a great point. And the reality is nobody really knows. I mean, when when things are that outside of your sphere of influence or, or sphere of control, I guess they're they're influencing them, but it's not in their control. So their their suggestion to providers is is simply, you know, we can you can as a as an operation hope for or not hope for the mandate vaccine, depending on people's beliefs, but we need to prepare and we need to be able to be ready within, you know, maybe even as short as 72 hours to turn and and comply, should the efforts that are happening right now uh, not prevail. So that there, specifically there's some lawsuits in certain states that have put in a stay of execution, if you will, on the VAX mandates. And, uh, you know, so their advice is get prepared. Don't, don't get caught not being prepared should this thing turn around quickly. And it's got, you know, I, it's probably a 50-50 thing, whether it whether it stays or whether it goes. And I think it just depends on your perspective on, on how you see it.
0: Mm-hmm. And based on that perspective, are you hearing, uh, are some operators uh, cheering the decision or some operators like kind of lamenting the decision? Does it depend on kind of where you are and what state and the the penetration and the vaccination rate in the counties and size of operation? Is it is it a little bit varied across the country? Um, based yeah, on I mean, I think
1: that's think? a... Yeah, I think that's a fair thing, Scott. I mean, geography surely matters, at least it does in our state. I don't, cheering may not be the right analogy because the fear for providers is if there's a mandate, what is the actual outcome of people who just won't vaccinate? So are they just going to quit our business and get out? And and if they are, what's that number? And you, you know, you hear anything from a couple percent to 15, 20 percent and some of that speculation and some of that's actual. So uh, I, I think generally the providers would love it if if healthcare providers were vaccinated, because what science tells us is that that's going to be our best protection. But we also understand there's people that just don't see it that way and, or, or they have medical um, conditions or they have religious beliefs that don't allow that. And so it's really just been this has been a tough issue. Uh, especially for post-acute care, uh, I didn't think it was going to get this way. I honestly thought we'd be having to do uh, crowd control as people as we crossed into the new year this year for 2021. I thought we'd have to be making sure the lines went well, and it just didn't work out that way. Uh, the, the the rates continue to climb. That's good. I know uh, that probably pleases the administration that we're, we're making progress. The question is, will it be enough? And will these legal efforts that are happening right now prevail? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but certainly being prepared and, and uh, you know, other some companies were mandating vaccinations before the president did it. And so I think those companies have stayed those courses.
0: Yeah, well, more to be said, and certainly we'll all be watching those course uh, cases very closely it's Certainly that. The cases are not only tying up uh, healthcare providers, but also on the on the on the private pay and even uh, private employer side of, of employees, hundred employees or above too. So As yeah, well, lots to be watching for there. How about in terms of funding? I know certainly for a lot of our listeners, kind of where uh, the stimulus money is going. Certainly tied to census and revenues, additional you know COVID expenses and Omicron variants the like. Yeah. Any updates on phase four in particular? And any thoughts about is there other phase four point five or five to come? Any any, any thoughts there?
1: Well, there's still work. It's a great question. I know it's top of mind for providers across the country. There's still a lot of work being done on provider relief funds. Providers, most providers did get the rule payments. I think that was last week or maybe it was the week before. And some people that didn't work out. And so they're trying to work through all of that. Uh, the phase four is still a, a current component. And then is there going to be a phase five? And I think it's the best to say, at least from somebody from my perspective, is that the American Healthcare Association that team continues to work those issues and trying to uh, compel Congress, compel the administration to, to uh, not only release the funds, but to realize uh, what the situation is on the ground. And that, that's the, you know, as you know, Scott, I know you hear from many of the members still, that's that's the, the, the key pressure point. Uh, you know, another key component is the public health emergency. Will that, uh, will that stay in effect after the next, because I think it's in January, it's supposed to be renewed. There's, a, there's a, an FMAP increase for the states, a federal matching portion increase for that in the states. There's the three-day observation stay waiver in that. And so the, there's a real question, which is, you know, in some cases as important as just the raw funding component, what's going to happen there? There's current legislation right now that talks about ramping that down even prior to the end of that, uh, ramping down the federal matching portion, even prior to the, the end of the public health emergency. So there's a lot of effort happening Right now, uh, a conversation around, is there an opportunity to just do away with the three-day stay uh, requirement? And, and for the listeners, that's a requirement that uh, Americans would need to have three midnights in a hospital prior to qualifying for Medicare in a, a post-acute into a long-term care facility. And that's been waived during the public health emergency. So, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of work that's happening there. And really from the American healthcare, not only have they taking that on, then there's a lot of effort that's going to the state to say what opportunity we have for each state as you pointed out in the federation to help them with their own medicaid efforts in the state and so as an example in nebraska we're working with the ACA ncal team right now on trying to compel the nebraska administration on increasing funding at this component i you know i i'd like to say you, you hate to uh, handicap an effort but i'd like to say we're having good conversation and i'm very hopeful that uh, in the near future we'll have some more funding for Nebraska providers, because it's really hard here as well. The workforce. for Nebraska is becoming a bit of a frontier state. The We have the urban area on the Eastern edge. And when you get out uh, very far, it gets pretty rural pretty quick. And they're really having a hard time. And of course, then uh, to your earlier question, the other big piece is the workforce. And it's just a really hard time. I've been around 30 years. I've never seen anything close to this in 30 years. It's just the craziest thing about trying to recruit people. The hard thing is, we're not alone. Every other industry, every other occupation is having the same thing, and so it's just a, a really, really hard time from having enough team members. You know, you asked about occupancy, and occupancy for the first time in a while is bouncing back, but we don't have the team members to give the care. So we're using these terms in Nebraska: staffed beds. Not now. How many beds do we have in our facility? How many do we have staffed? How many? How many people can we take based on our staff availability? It's it's a it's a tough time.
0: Yeah, we're certainly seeing with the. The influx of Omicron identi- identified cases uh, in many states. You know the hospitalization rates are through the roof. You know here in Indiana, we're watching surrounding states, especially Michigan, where some really scary things are happening in terms of uh, over, you know, hospitals being overloaded. And um, so it, it, you're so right, Heath. And I think all the pressure points of what operators are going through right now, uh, just some really, really difficult times. How about uh, any 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 thoughts about what 2022 could hold for the sector? Um, you know, we, we were at uh, we were at the NIC conference and Cal, and I know there's still a lot of optimism about the sector, uh, a lot of hope for the future. And so uh, what, are, what are your thoughts about next year that, that operators uh, should be thinking about, uh, both challenges and opportunities?
1: Well, I'm one of those people that has a lot of hope for the sector. Um, you know, I know 2021, we all kind of felt like surely by this time this year, this will all be behind us, and, and it's not. But I think about what we've learned and how much uh, uh, better prepared and frankly, in some cases, smarter about things that we are as a profession, I I, I feel like as a country, the more people vaccinate and get the booster, the better opportunity we'll have to make these variants uh, less of a big deal. My guess is the the word pandemic, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but the word pandemic will start to go away and endemic will start to come in. It'll be a bit like the flu. We'll always have to figure out that. This is just my idea, but have to figure out how do we deal with that this year? Occupancy is starting to turn around. And Scott, as you know, from your time at NCAL, uh, the the population numbers, the numbers of Americans that are in the age uh, that would be served by our sector start to really turn here in the next few years. And so uh, if we can get if we can get the staffing, the, the team member thing to turn around and come our way a bit, uh, I, I'm really hopeful about what 2022 can look like. Uh, we In Nebraska, we've made really good inroads with relationships with our survey teams. And again, we don't always agree, but uh, just really have come a long way. And I think that creates a lot of hope for me. And frankly, I've learned again how tenacious, how filled with grit, healthcare providers are, how they're willing to stand in, no matter what's going on. And they've showed that a year uh, again and again. And I think that's gonna all just start, I, I feel like things are gonna start to relax just slightly in early 2022. I sure hope I'm right. I hope that we can connect again at the end of the year. Maybe, maybe some of this uh, comes to fruition, but we sure need it. Uh, team members are tired. It's been a hard couple of years. And uh, I, I hope that, that that will come that way for them.
0: Yeah, and it dawned on me too, one, one sort of um, additional contextual point for some you mentioned before, before our, for our listeners, the stuff you're working on in Nebraska, um, you know, we've seen some success in other states pulling down some stimulus money and uh, for workforce needs, stabilizing workforce for enhancing some rates, either on, one, on a short-term basis or even built into the rates themselves. Uh, Pennsylvania, Texas, those are good examples. So, Heath, you and your counterparts are working night and day, I know. Uh, and, and to try and pull down some of that two to $300 billion that went to state and local governments uh, to try and benefit the sector. And so I know for our listeners, uh, just know that there are uh, advocates in every state that are trying to find opportunities uh, similar. So hopefully that's some good news for 2022 as well. Hey, let's talk about 2022 and let's talk about you. Uh, again, we've teased it quite a bit, but you're off to a great opportunity uh, starting Monday, uh, returning back to the operator side. So I think what's, what's awesome for our listeners is we have, Someone here who's started the operator side, gone on the advocacy side, both state and national, and now gone back to the side. Tell us what you're doing next and what you're most looking forward to.
1: Yeah, well, maybe, Scott, the, the way to start that is you never get the provider out of somebody's blood. And <laughs> I've been just given an incredible opportunity to join the team at Vetter Senior Living in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, if listeners aren't familiar with Vetter, I'd encourage them to look them up. They're this incredible company that is completely and utterly mission-driven and very focused on who they are and who they serve and how they do it. Uh, they, they're recipients of a great place to work in America. I mean, they've, they've really got a lot of great things. And if you're a if you're a data person, you look them up, uh, they're, they're very highly ranked from the quality metrics across the country. And they've asked me to come work with them and look at things that are really not focused uh, just solely on skilled nursing. So I'll look at things like Uh, More in the AL, IL, uh, home care, pharmacy, those kind of things. And so I am super excited to join that team. And yeah, as you said, that's Monday. And so it's going to be a a pretty impactful week next week. Uh, But I couldn't be more uh, excited to go join that team. And again, I I think I said earlier, I'm a guy that it matters to me that a company really is mission driven, not just that it's the poster out front on the building, that it is who they are, it is how they act and they know who they serve. And that clearly uh, fits better senior living. I'm I'm just excited to go there and be a part of it. So 2022 has got a lot of new for me. We just moved my family uh, to Omaha over over, uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, We're still trying to figure out, you know, where the socks are, which box that's in. And so uh, it's all going to be really good. I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Well, we're really excited for you, Heath, and really excited to be, continue to work for, with you in a new capacity. Again, as I mentioned before, we've had a chance to be friends and colleagues for a long time and looking forward to working with you in your new role. What I'm excited for you, Heath, is that you are going to work for a high quality operator. Reject I mean, Vetter is just a legend in the industry. Better Health uh, is a A-star student in terms of quality and data as you're like, and you're going to work with Glenn Van Ekren, who's just one of the best people out there. And I, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but, um, uh, I'm going to quote from Glenn has got a book for our listeners out there. If you're looking for a great Christmas gift, little leadership lessons from an old guy and Glenn has got volume two is just out. I think uh, this quarter, uh, but I was, I was flipping through this and I, I, I love these little snippets that Glenn puts out. And so I constantly looked at every once in a while. And I thought of it, I thought of you, Keith, when I read about this one chapter, he talks about the importance of being an engaged leader. And uh, the converse of course, is when you have a disengaged leader, you have chaos. But when you have an engaged leader, uh, his definition of engaged leaders, become the kind of leader that people would voluntarily follow, even if you had no title or position. And Heath, when I think about an engaged leader, I, I really do think about you. And I just think you are going to do so much great work there Better. Better. Uh, I'm excited for your new colleagues, teams, folks that you're going to be working with, the residents and the families, uh, and excited for your next steps and for, for Better also, for Jack and Glenn and the whole team there. Uh, so really excited. Hey, we we're, we're getting a little close on time, but tell us about your successor, Jaylene, who I've known for a long time. Tell us about her and her background and her work going forward.
1: Yeah, so we're really blessed. The, the board here at the Nebraska Healthcare Association hired Jaylene Carpenter to be the next CEO. I couldn't be more excited for her. Uh, couldn't be more excited for the association. High energy, passionate, long-term care provider, advocate. She's worked on the on the business side of it with a company that does satisfaction surveys. She's worked with a pharmacy company that's tied- and now coming back to lead uh, this team and to serve members, and she's going to be fantastic. I've had the opportunity to be around her for about four weeks now, just trying to help the, uh, trying to help her integration. And uh, Scott, I mean, you know, you you know who she is. She's just going to do a great job. She's been a future leader in American Healthcare. It's going to be good, and I'm really excited for what's in front of uh, Nebraska, Nebraska providers, and specifically for the association.
0: Now. Yeah. Well, that's great, Heath. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk a little about her as well. You know, maybe she'll be a future uh, guest on our podcast. I know she's got a very interesting background on in her own right, too. So looking forward to talking to her at some point. Hey, uh, final question. I'm just trying to think about a consistent question for all of our listeners. I'm a big reader. I love asking people what they're reading and maybe what they recommend. What's on your nightstand, uh, magazine, book, something you'd like to recommend
1: uh, to our listeners? Well, I can't recommend it yet because I just dug it back out. You know, I told you, going through boxes, and I stumbled across a book that I received uh, when I was on your board of directors uh, from Doris Kearns Goodwin called "Leadership in Turbulent Times." It sounds like I, when I, you know I read the cover when we I just unpacked it last week before I went to D.C. and it sounds like the whole concept here is that she uses the stories of past presidents to talk about how leadership has and can help. Uh, navigate these really tough times, and certainly this would qualify as a turbulent or a tough time. So maybe in the future I'll, I'll send you a note or let you know uh, just what it was. But I haven't read it before. I'm super excited. So leadership in turbulent times uh, is the book that I'm that I'm going to go after.
0: Yeah, what a what a great uh, what a great recommendation for our listeners. Uh, I have that book, not read it, uh, but I did have the opportunity to meet her at our AKA and Caliño convention many years ago. She's obviously a great presidential historian, written the famous book uh, Team Rivals about Lincoln and his cabinet. So what a great recommendation, so thanks, you for that. Hey, Heath, I want to thank you for your time today. This has been really special for me and, and a great opportunity for our listeners to know you a little better and understand where you've been and what you're going to do next. Um, we're, we're very honored you were our first guest on this Vine Capital podcast. Uh, I think it would be really fun to kind of connect maybe a year from now, uh, right after the 2022 midterm elections. We'll have a lot to talk about, but also kind of check back in with you to see how things went on your first year at Better and get a sense of what you're thinking about for 2023, so... Um, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in, especially for our very first Vime Capital Podcast. Uh, Ask them to be sure to check in soon for future sessions, as we'll be interviewing key leaders in profession that will shape our sector uh, during these very, very interesting times. Keith, thanks again for your time. This is First.